Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. <laughs> that always sounds so woo-woo, and I always laugh when I hear now, now, now. That's Ryan Treasure, VP of everything I call him at World Talk Radio, the business channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and this is Technology Revolution, the future of now. We have a topic today we're bringing you that I know absolutely nothing about. I have a panel of experts. I'm just going to start with some buzz quotes. You know, I like to start with what's the buzz on the street. So let me start with two quotes. And I'll be introducing a word that we're going to learn about. The word is techno-human. Some people spell it as one word with no hyphen. I have a couple of articles here that spell it hyphenated, T-E-C-H-N-O hyphen human. So here we go. Here's a quote from The Techno-Human Condition, a book by Braden Allenby and Daniel Sarowitz. Here we go. Humans have been co-evolving with their technology since the dawn of prehistory. I didn't know they had technology in prehistory. What is different now is that we've moved beyond external technological interventions to transform ourselves from the inside out, even as we also remake the earth itself. Coping with this new means liberating ourselves. Listen up, everyone. Liberating ourselves from such categories as human, ooh, technological, ooh, and natural to embrace a new techno-human relationship. Okay, that's buzz number one. Here's buzz number two. This is from Jende Andrew Wang, H-U-A-N-G, and his article is The Techno-Human Condition. Same title. Here he says, Growing up, I always considered the interaction of humanity and technology presented in the original Star Trek series as a fairly accurate representation of the way things would someday go. Then came the next generation's Borg. With the way things are going, our future may have more in common with the Borg. So let me give you a little background now. That's the end of our two buzz quotes. There will be more change in the next 10 years and actually probably in the next 10 months and in the last 100 years. Uncertainty and dramatic changes are not new for us. No, we've gone through many disruptions. But our human window of tolerance is being stretched to the limit more than ever. Now we're in a global pandemic trying to emerge as we try to navigate navigate this new not normal. As a global civilization, we have been catapulted, just thrust into the awareness that we need new techno-human ecosystems. There's that word. How we react, adapt, and evolve will become the measure of our success, not only you and me as human beings and individuals, but as communities and nations. I have four experts. I have LifeWork Systems CEO Judy Ryan, who was kind enough to put together this panel and offer this topic. We have transdisciplinary practitioner Jacob Perkins. We have workplace futurist and author Marty Constant and futurist Linda Roth, and we're going to ask them for their take. So the topic today is falling to pieces, question mark, question mark, question mark, techno human game changes to the rescue. Welcome to everyone. And now it's time for my panelists to introduce themselves. Judy Ryan, please tell us what you do. Take about two minutes, Judy, what you do and what in the world is techno human. Talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you mentioned Star Trek. So techno human, I mean, when I was a kid, we watched them flip open the phone, you know, and it's something like (laughs) a cell phone. And that's really, we are techno human. Even this radio show is techno human. We're all on the phone. It's all filtering into a website it's going to be you know dispersed through technology so we've been techno-human for a long time that's all that means is our ability to apply technology to the human behaviors conditions and objectives and what i do is my company specializes in performance excuse me performance management mostly within corporate settings, uh, and, and it's really focusing on what is the evolution of culture right now? What kinds of conditions need to happen for people to be able to what's called pivot, which is move quickly to embrace change? So businesses have to move more quickly. Um, individuals have to know how to function more agilely in workplace and in just in life in general. So I help create the conditions and conversations for that within a culture model. And so that's primarily what I do. 
Thank you very much, Judy. And thanks for suggesting the topic. As I said, it sounds interesting to me. Why not? So here you are. And thank you for getting the other three panelists with us. Let's meet them right now. So let's go around the table to Jacob Perkins. Jacob, please introduce yourself and tell me what in the world is a transdisciplinary practitioner. Jacob, welcome. Hey, good morning, Bonnie. First off, let me say I appreciate your uh, love for all things Star Trek. I'm most certainly a Trekkie and well familiar with uh, First Contact and the Borg. Um, that's something that actually first threw my interest in the integration of technology and, and humanity and what that hmm. means um, for us moving on to the next few years. I'm growing up now, don't worry, but I've still seen all the movies. <laughs> I'm never going to um, grow up, I Jacob. Say, Go ahead. <laughs> when I say transdisciplinary science, what I mean is we're not necessarily looking at any given phenomenon, whether it's in business, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in one of the more specialty medicines from just, oh, well, this is your take on this phenomenon. This is your take on phenomenon. I'm talking about a meta language scientifically for understanding something. So when I say I'm a transdisciplinary practitioner, that tends to mean both an integration of constructs from different different places, whether that means psychiatry or social work or counseling or psychology, or even way outside that, right, business. Um, but it means kind of pre-co-creating with someone else a new language, and that tends to involve technology because it's the methods of change with technology for researching, understanding and trying to grapple almost any issues comes that change in language. So, yes, I think traditionally I'm very much uh, a practitioner in my field, which is clinical social work, but mm-hmm. my larger background and experience allows me to be transdisciplinary, and that's something that I appreciate. Thank you. Very interesting. Thank you for that. Nice to meet you, Jacob. I I appreciate your explanation there. And I'm glad you like Star Trek. And listen, some of us are committed to never growing up, and I'm leading that pack. So you can get right in line behind me. You don't have to grow up, especially not for this show, Jacob. Thank you. Let's move around the panel before Jacob and I get into more trouble here. Let's go to Marty Constant. I want to tell you, if you're looking her up, her first name is M-A-R-T-I, and her last name starts with a K, K K-O-N-S-T-A-N-T. Marty, welcome to Technology Revolution, and please tell us who you are and what you do, and tell us about your book. Okay. Um, my name is Marty Constance, of course. I research, write, train, and speak on the topic of career agility and workforce agility. And what does this have to do with I also talk about the future of work in my training. The future of work is dependent on how we as human beings are going to interact, respond to, and react to the changes that are happening. Prior to this pandemic, the biggest problem we had in corporations was how are we going to adapt to all of this fast change? That problem is not going away. It is a busier in the next 10 years than it was in the past 100 years. And the book is really about studying how some people just naturally respond to change and grow with it. They're more um, flexible than stagnant. They're, uh, they're, not, um, they're not steadfast in their thinking. They are, have more of a growth mindset. Interesting. Um, tell me something, Marty. How did you get involved in all of this? Did you have a Star Trek humble beginning or, or uh, the Jetsons perhaps? Or, or what, what got you interested in this? Especially the agility part. Great. My first job out of college was with a tech company, and I have been with technology ever since. I started out my career as a designer, and I ended up working with engineers my entire career and got real curious, as they do, about how things work and got very curious about how they look at things like agility, how they design things, get feedback, tweak it, refine it, and then bring it to market, and then do that over and over again. Not like we used to do technology. We, we do technology in fast iterations now. Thank you very much, Marty. Pleasure to meet you. We have a lot to learn from you during the show. And let's move around the table to Linda Roth. And if you're looking for her, she spells her last name L-Y-N-D-A, Roth, R-O-T-H. Linda Roth, welcome. And why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Hi, thanks very much, Bonnie. Um, it's nice to be on the panel with everybody today. Uh, I am, I have, well, I got in technology at a very young age. I graduated from high school when I was 17 and didn't know what I wanted to do. And my high school counselor suggested I go to the community college 
and take up the new curriculum on computer science. I was like, <laughs> okay, I don't know what that is, but he told me I could graduate in two years and get a job making a lot of money. So that was the ticket for me. <laughs> I ended up being a, a mainframe developer and um, enjoyed that, but then as I learned more and more and I was a student of business, I started uh, branching out and, and growing in my career, becoming a manager in IT, and then I started working for a software company. Then I started my own software company. That was probably really my biggest transition was I started a software company to create a business information system. And um, we, we built that company a, a little while, and then uh, we had what I talk about as our digital transformation juggernaut where technology changed from mainframe to, to smaller computers, and my mm-hmm. partners didn't want to redesign our system on the newer technologies. So our fate did not end well. It was okay for me because then I started my career of going in and helping companies transform, and I've been doing that since the early 1990s, and it's gone into high gear now. And so I work with businesses to how to transform their whole business to a digital business. Linda Roth. So in the process of publishing my book on digital transformation, which is geared to um, getting companies to, it's geared toward executives. It's called an executive guide to survive and thrive. And so it's all about how to change your business. Linda Roth, you have no idea how much you and I have in common. I was a young divorcee with two children transplanted from New York to Eugene, Oregon. I needed to go to work. I was 27. I had never had a job, never earned a living. Here I was, 3,000 miles from my family, and my mother and father sent me brochures on different careers, and one of them was computer programmer and I checked my my lady friends in Eugene said there's a community college two bus rides away I didn't own a car Linda and I went out to the college and I said what is this thing called computer science what they said the class is full but enroll anyway and within two weeks of the start of the class half the people will drop out because they have no idea what they're getting themselves into they said we will enroll you you will come and take a chair in the room and in two weeks it will thin out will have the people who want to. So I did that, Linda, and I ended up getting, I already had a bachelor's degree. I ended up getting two degrees in computer operations and programming, and the college hired me right out of school to become a mainframe programmer for a community college-wide information system in the state of Oregon. What do you think of that? And that's how I went for a degree. And I was, we're talking, I don't know how old you are, dear, I'm not going to ask you, but I was key punching, and I was working on on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 programming in COBOL. And I was a crackerjack programmer. I could I could just go home and do whatever I needed to do. They hired me to do, uh, I'll call it um, uh, shadow programming, if you will, uh, stealth programming. They needed extra programs, so they would pay me out of slush funds from the community college around the states, a whole bunch of them, and they would say, go home and write a couple of thousand lines and come in Monday and run it. We need some extra programs. So I was my own contract programmer. This was back in the day. And then I graduated to an IBM 4341 with PL1 for another systems uh, systems company in Oregon a few days, a few years later. So, welcome, Linda, I haven't met anybody who went through, it sounds very, very similar with the community college degrees. And yes, I'm proud of them. That was my graduate school. So, on that note, guess what? I'm going to do my first advertisement. We have two advertisers here today on the show. And then, Judy Ryan, you're going to get ready to explain the quote you sent me. And I'll read the quote in a minute. So, let's go to my ads here. We are welcoming back advertisers that started with us a couple of weeks ago. We have Plume, P-L-U-M-E. It's a cloud-based software company specializing in a suite of smart home services. It's more than just an evolution of what a lot of you know as mesh Wi-Fi. Plume offers hardware called Pods, P-O-D-S, that provide Wi-Fi coverage throughout your house if needed. Plume gives you great Wi-Fi and network security, and guess what? It seamlessly integrates with your existing network. And on a personal note, the gentleman whose voice introduced the show. Ryan at Voice America uses Plume. He tells me his streaming speed has increased for Netflix and online video games because Plume's advanced self-optimization of adaptive Wi-Fi makes sure the parts of his home that use more 
internet, get more bandwidth. How cool is that? No more buffering and no more spinning wheel of death. I love to say that. And Ryan uses Plume's parental controls to monitor his six-year-old's internet usage. Yes, she's six and she uses the internet. He can customize the rules for her devices. Yes, she has devices to control when she can get on and the kinds of content she can and can't access. He can even schedule an internet freeze or timeout for school nights. Plume's suite of services include blazing fast, flawless Wi-Fi, advanced cybersecurity for your devices and your whole network, personalized content, parental access controls, and all-new motion detection. And here's how easy it is for you to subscribe to Plume. They're offering two years of membership to my listeners for 50% off, actually 50% minus a dollar. So instead of paying $99 a year, you'll pay $90, I'm sorry, $49 a year for two years. That comes out to $98 because Plume knows this is a difficult time for many of our listeners financially. So go to plume, P-L-U-M-E dot com slash, and here's the code, Tech Revolution, T-E-C-H-R-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N. And the special discount will be applied at the checkup. That's P-L-U-M-E dot com slash, T-E-C-H-R-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N, Tech Revolution. Thank you very much, Plume, for being our sponsor. And now let's go back to the show and let's go around the table. Judy Ryan has sent me a quote. Let me find it here, Judy. Here we go. Sent me a quote from Samuel Arbisman, and it's from his 2012 book, The Half-Life of Facts, Why Everything We Know Has an Expiration Date. And Arbisman is an expert in the field of scientometrics, which is the science of science. I'll just leave it there. Judy, tell us what the quote has to do with our topic, please. Um, Well, the quote is so important because right now we are experiencing things having an expiration date. Most people are resistant to that. So the reason the quote is so important to me is that we're unaware of our change blindness problem. And and one of the biggest reasons it's a problem is because we don't want to look inside and see that maybe what we're thinking and doing could be outdated. We're not uncomfortable or ashamed if we upgrade our phones, but we're uncomfortable and ashamed if we're asked to upgrade things like our social and emotional intelligence skills. And so I just find it really interesting that that's a huge problem and we're all kind of being forced into it whether we're kicking and screaming or not. (laughs) As Marty said, some of us are more adaptable, more excited to upgrade and change, and others kind of hold on to the old status quo. Yep, and in business today, you have to be agile. We know that. I think as human beings, we have to be agile, Judy. Judy, how many of us ever thought we would be sequestered, isolated, self-quarantined? I haven't left my home other than my car screams at me every 10 days. Take me out for a ride, Mommy. I need exercise. Yes, it says that to me. Other than that, I haven't (laughs) left the house in almost two months, but I work from home as a broadcaster anyway. But I am in two bands. I'm a drummer, and I haven't seen my bandmates. Our concerts were canceled. We don't have practices, and it's very hard playing together remotely. So I am having to be agile in filling in with other things to keep my sanity, and I think that's what's going on around the world. Thank you, Judy. Let's turn to Jacob Perkins, and Jacob has sent us a quote from, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Zygmunt Bauman, and the book is Globalization, the Human Consequences. Bauman, 1925 to 2017, was a Polish British sociologist and philosopher, one of the world's most eminent social theorists. Very interesting. Okay, Jacob, here's the quote you sent me. Questioning the ostensibly unquestionable premises of our, of our way of life is arguably the most urgent of services we owe our fellow humans and ourselves. Whoa, Jacob, talk to me. This is pretty heady stuff here. What does it mean for our topic today? The thing I like about this quote is, and again, keep in mind, Bowman was a 20th century, he was a social theorist, but he was really a globalization theorist, hence the title of his book. And as morbid as it sounds, he did focus on some of the consequences of what he saw emerging in the mid-20th century, you know, the, the connectivity between markets, between cultures, between people. And if ever there's a context right now with the pandemic of asking ourselves what needs to change and why we need to change it, especially in the context of human life, um, those are the type of questions we have to ask. So whether that means right now the flexibility we have to abandon um, travel temporarily to protect other countries or even other communities to some of the more longstanding practices like um, consumption and environmentalism and risk. Um, those, that's, that's what this question is hinting at. 
So relatedly, you know, being agile enough to change right now and not necessarily hold on to some of those expectations, at least at the individual level, that things will just be the same for my generation or my lifetime, too, as well. That's something that's pretty important with this quote. Thank you very much, Jacob. Very interesting. Let's move around to Marty Constant. Marty has sent us a quote. I've never heard of any of these authors, so welcome to the authors on the show as well. Ryan Holiday spells his name just like the word holiday. The obstacle is the way. Ryan Holiday, very much alive and well, 1987 birth year. He's an American author, marketer, entrepreneur, and founder of the creative advisory firm Brass Check. And what's interesting, he has created media stunts for the marketing, the apparel company American Apparel, and he is a media columnist and editor-at-large for the New York Observer, and he has written on the topic of media manipulation. Ooh, interesting. Marty, the topic you sent, the quote you sent is, stop looking for angels and start looking for angles. Well, that's an interesting one. Marty, what does this mean for our topic, techno-human, today? Yes, so one of the things that Ryan Holiday talks about in this book and in a lot of his work is his belief in the learnings and the teachings of Marcus Aurelius. The things that we're doing now to be able to get through something is to go through it, not around it. It's taking personal responsibility and personal accountability seriously. So instead of looking externally, it's an intrinsic, intrinsically motivated world that will get you there. And people, like back in the time, like when IBM was really growing, it was the IBM way. Everybody followed and got trained and or P&G or SAP. It was great to get trained there, but what is important in today's world is we have to be self-directed in the way that we adapt to these changes and the way that we manage our own careers. It's no longer about worrying about HR or training. What are they going to do for me? Are they going to put me on a track? It is about taking care of that yourself. So intrinsically motivated versus extrinsically motivated. And this is the only way... Bonnie, that we are going to adapt to the changes that are going to continue coming towards us. It's the only way we're going to be able to pair up with the technology, as in cobots. It's the only way forward. Thank you very much. I like the optimism, Marty. That's what we're looking forward to. Even if we have to be very more focused than we thought we would, just the optimism and the hope is a good thing right now. Thank you. Linda Roth has sent a quote. Uh, Now I'm not surprised you picked a quote from Grace Hopper, Linda. Uh, Near and dear to me, Grace Grace Brewster Murray Hopper, nay Murray, December 1906 to January 1992. Boy, she died before her time. I'm sorry. She should have been around to see what we're doing now. An American computer scientist and U.S. Navy rear admiral admiral and an admirable admiral she popularized the idea of machine independent programming language which led to the development of COBOL I still have my silver COBOL programming manual I really do and green bar paper this was an early high level programming language still in use today I don't know if anybody knows but the US Navy Arleigh Burke class guided missile destroyer USS Hopper was named for her and the Cray XE6 Hopper supercomputer at NERSC was named for her Grace Hopper was awarded 40 honorary degrees from universities around the world in her lifetime. Yale named a college after her. She received the National Medal of Technology in 91, and she was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama in 2016. Quite a lady, and uh, I'm honored. I think you are, Linda, to be considered some of the early women in tech well after Grace Hopper, obviously. So here's the quote. Someday on the corporate balance sheet, there will be an entry which reads, information. For in most cases, the information is more valuable than the hardware which processes it. Ooh, Linda, I'm getting goosebumps. Tell me how you picked this wonderful quote. Well, um, Bonnie, with with you and I both being in, in the early years of computers, Grace Hopper had a profound effect on my life as a young woman. I heard her speak a couple of times in the late 70s and early 80s. And I just thought that she was amazing. She, as you know, she was a diminutive woman and, and very much older by the time I saw her, right, and close to the end of her life. And she was just so energetic and had such a futuristic view of the world that I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Grace Hopper. And what we see today is 
what she was saying come true, right? It, artificial intelligence is the ultimate information. And we, we now have everything coming through from artificial intelligence. And even though we don't have information on the balance sheet, the reality is the information that companies have available to them and can utilize is the most important thing in making them profitable and keeping them profitable and surviving um, through the next century. Thank you very much. Wonderful quote, and thank you for, I, as I said, I said, hmm, interesting, she picked a quote from Grace Hopper, who is in my list of quotable people, and nobody has done it in a long time. So thank you, Linda. I didn't know about her. I just needed to get a job, and I found myself in computer science and absolutely loving it. You know what? I'm going to take a moment now to welcome our second sponsor today, and then we'll go with our predictions portion of the show. So welcome to ExpressVPN. This is their third week with us. Being stuck at home these days, you all know what I'm talking about. You probably don't think much about internet privacy on your own home network. Do you believe that if you fire up incognito mode on your browser, have you tried it? You think no one can see what you're doing? That's wrong. Even incognito mode, your online activity can still be traced, even if you clear your browsing history. How many of us have done that? Your internet service provider, ISP, can still see every single website you have ever visited. That's why I never go online, even at home, without using ExpressVPN. That's all one word. ExpressVPN makes sure your internet service provider cannot see the sites you visit. Instead, your internet connection is rerouted through their secure servers. Each ExpressVPN server has an IP address that's shared among thousands of users. What does that mean? It means everything you do is anonymized, as in anonymous, and cannot be traced back to you. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data with best-in-class encryption, so your information is always protected. Use the Internet with confidence from your computer, and it works for your tablet and your smartphone. ExpressVPN has you covered on every device. Simply tap one button. And voila, you are protected. It's the fastest and most trusted VPN on the market. ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and other media outlets. So here's a call to action. Protect your online activity today with the VPN that I trust to secure my own privacy. Visit my special link, expressvpn.com slash techrev. I'll spell that in a moment. And you can get an extra three months free when you get a one-year package. So that's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, ExpressVPN. You know how to spell that. I just did. ExpressVPN.com slash TechRev, T-E-C-H-R-E-V. That's the code for this show. ExpressVPN.com slash TechRev to learn more. And thank you to ExpressVPN for continuing to sponsor our show. And now, it's if, by the way, if you're just tuning in, our topic today, fascinating, falling to pieces, question mark, question mark, question mark, you may think you are. Well, techno-human game changers to the rescue. And that's why we're speaking today with Judy Ryan at LifeWork Systems, Jacob Perkins, an, an empathetic interdisciplinary practitioner, and I just found out his a Twitter handle is EmpathyJP, Marty Constant, a few Futurist and uh, Linda Roth, L-Y-N-D-A Roth, and they are just people interested in techno-human and fascinating backgrounds. We've already covered them. So, Judy Ryan, I'm going to read your prediction number one, which is very detailed. I'll read just a little bit. I'll tell you what, why don't you take about two minutes to explain it, and instead of going around the table, I'll pick one from Jacob and then one from Marty and then one from Linda, and let's see how many predictions we can cover in the 20 minutes or so we have left to the show, actually 25 minutes. So, Judy Ryan told me the following. If you do not, we do not invest in the evolution of organizational culture, most initiatives in life and work will be disappointing and fail. Today, change is happening at the speed of imagination, often causing high levels of confusion and strain on individuals and organizations. Judy, what's the prediction here? Help me with this. Well, most people don't recognize that the you hear the terms resilience, agility, yes. um, cross-functional teamwork. You know that those are ways that people have to function in the world. But because we, a lot of organizations and even in schools and in families, they don't realize the evolution of culture. And if you don't understand where the culture is evolving, you're going to be left behind. I mean, all the Fortune 500 companies, 55 of them are all, I mean, 22 are all that are left from 1955. So change is happening. And if we don't recognize the needs of the people, like I want to just play on Marty's 
comments about intrinsically motivated and personally responsible people. If you don't have those people in your organization, you won't be able to stay ahead of the competitive edge that is out in front of you. And that's why you'll be disappointed in and fail as an organization is because you'll be spending too much energy and time on managing um, really emotional intelligence issues within your organization. And if I were to say probably what's the most important about this prediction is that one of the things that I do as the first priority is spit in the soup of the autocratic and control-based approaches. We've used uh, control cultures for hundreds of years. And they look like they work. If I, you know, if I threaten you, you're going to get written up or fired. It might put, make you snap into order or if I dangle carrots in front of you. But what happens is these weaken the intrinsic motivation. And there's other control models as well. And we still fall back on those, not realizing those are the primary reasons we're failing. The primary reasons we have a 71% disengagement level year after year after year. And so it's just, it's less able to even sustain us through more now than it has ever been. With the pandemic, it's just really stretched, but it's, it has been for some time. Thank you, Judy. Interesting. Let's go to Jacob's number one prediction. He predicts very simply the acceleration of telehealth and health IoT market. Jacob, what do you see? What I see is I see leaps and bounds in the techno-human ecosystem because of the pandemic. You know, we have the theory of punctuated equilibrium, which holds that populations of living organisms tend to experience uh, really high levels of change in these kind of short, stressful times. You know, here in March, we certainly saw all these healthcare entities and organizations shifting their service platforms because of the pandemic. We saw new reimbursement policies for the Center for Medicare and Medicaid, which, you know, funds a large chunk mm-hmm. of um, healthcare services for nonprofit systems nationally. And so now we have all these new service lines that have emerged to meet a wide range of client needs. For me, particularly behavioral health is what I've seen. And so we have all this efficacy data from all this rapid deployment over the last five weeks. So now at least the ones who have the capacity in, in their organizations themselves can focus on scalability and sustainability. So that healthcare IoT, that telemedicine service platform, that's certainly going to be a growth market. One, because the need is going to be there, and two, because of the rapid deployment and push right now over the last month. Um, that's what I've seen, yeah. Thank you very much, Jacob. Interesting. Let's go to prediction number one from Marty Constant. And Marty says, organizations and individuals who do not observe changes, that includes economic, financial, industry, technology, health, and pandemics, and take action to adapt and respond will fade away to a state of irrelevance at the macro level. Companies and ecosystems who fail to acknowledge this constant flux will fail and fade away or have already done so. Ooh, that's a dire prediction, but probably very accurate. Marty, tell me more, please. Yes, so Bonnie, this prediction is very, very Darwinian. If you don't react to the change and do something about it, I often have a saying that when change is swirling around you, that's a signal that something's happening, and it's a signal for you to take some sort of action. So I always say, when change happens, don't do nothing. Because if you don't do anything and you don't do something, you are going to become irrelevant. Nobody wants to be irrelevant. And I'd like to go back to uh, what Judy's quote originally was. uh, She was talking about Mm half-life. The half-life that I see, the half-life of the return to education are less than five years. They used to be 20 years, 25 years ago. So there's a constant need to iterate your skills and your learning in a way that is constant. It's not about going for the big win. Yes, we're going to get degrees, and yes, we're going to get certificates, but we are going to do things like micro-learning during the flow of our workday. We are going to be doing some of those other things so that we can keep up with it. And I will give you three examples of companies who didn't respond. Technology all the way. Kodak. Mm-hmm. did not acknowledge the existence of digital photography. Nokia, I used to work in the mobile business, the mobile mm-hmm. handset, the mobile uh, software business. Yep. BlackBerry didn't believe that you know, people you know, couldn't do without a keyboard. Borders, we know what happened there. So these, these are examples of companies. But people like 
Steve Jobs, when he was alive, was always adapting to change. Oprah Winfrey is always adapting to change. Those are the kinds of people that are going to continue moving forward. And in this age of AI and machine learning and things like blockchain, if we don't pair up with these technologies now, even during the pandemic, start, start thinking about how your role is going to be impacted by the technology. Thank you, Marty. I have to tell you, I work for Nokia, too. I was on the marketing team for the IntelliSync suite. Remember when they bought that? Yep. Okay, I was I was one of the marketing people, and I worked in the absolutely gorgeous White Plains office, White Plains, New York, in executive, whatever, executive row, and the building was a sight to behold. It had inside waterfalls and reclaimed wood and stone walls in, in the stairwells, stone walls with water cascading down. We had our own restaurant. It, it was really, it was worth driving over the White Stone Bridge. What's that? It was a great company that still yes. exists. As yep. a, you know, a smaller version of themselves, but it was a great company that also, they had a couple poor acquisitions too. Yes, I, I remember it well. I remember going in and I remember being asked to go out. So we'll leave it at that. But I loved working for them. It was fascinating. So let's move to Linda Roth. Linda, prediction number one. Marty covered a little bit, but I want to get your take on this. It's slightly different. You say all businesses need to become technology-centric organizations. And any company that does not become a digital business in the next five to ten years will not survive. Linda, let's look back a little bit over the rear, the rear view, if you don't mind, and say any company that hasn't already become tech-centric and digitally transformed is going to have trouble getting through, what, the next 12 to 18 months? Can we say that? Or I don't want to put a prediction in your mouth, but Linda, tell me your observation. No, I agree with you because the companies that had already started down that road or had gotten pretty much through it are the ones that are doing well right now. If you look, let's just take restaurants, for example. One of the of the restaurant chains uh, started in St. Louis, where I live, but uh, now everybody knows this Panera Bread. We here in St. Louis still call it St. Louis Bread Company. Um, but they had set up a whole bunch of uh, options where you could um, go online on the Internet or on an app and order uh, a meal that you wanted. You could order at any time of the day to be ready at any time of the day that you wanted it to be ready. So, um, and, and then you could just drop by the store and have it picked up, or you could have it delivered to you. And then also inside their stores, if you went inside the stores, yes, you could walk up and, and order, but you could also go to their kiosk on the store and, and put your order, and then it would be delivered to your table. They already had everything all set up for them. So when the pandemic hit, yes, they've been hurt a little bit with in-store sales, but they had a whole uh, ability for customers to move straight into being able to work with them in a digital environment and, and order their product, where a whole lot of other restaurants were just, you know, they had no way of doing that except calling on the telephone. And uh, so that's what I mean. But it's also products and services. If we look back at the beginning of the 20th century, the example I use is in the 1800s, you had something that was called an ice box, and it really was a box mm-hmm. that people put ice in to, yes. to keep food you know, cool. <laughs> well, when electricity came along and refrigeration in the early 20th century during the Industrial Revolution, you would have been a fool to try and market ice boxes because everything was moving to electric consumer goods. The same is happening now with your consumer products are now becoming intelligent, right? Everything's going to be connected up to an AI device like Alexa or something else, and it's going to be intelligent. If you don't design your products and services around that, you're not, you're, nobody's going to buy your products and services anymore. And uh, the same is true about how you handle your warehousing and your, your back office services and everything. You've, you've got to transform, and this pandemic has just moved it into warp speed. Thank you. Very well put. Before we go to prediction number two from each of you, or a second prediction, some of them we've already covered, I want to read a definition I found on Quora for techno-humanism, and I want to go around the table and see if you all agree with it, so bear with me here. Uh, somebody named Alexander Fortier, a thinker, a writer, a progressive, a human, wrote last year, techno-humanism, also known as transhumanism, is a movement that envisions a society where technology is so developed and integrated into society – 
that it increases humanity's capacity and threshold for human intelligence, cognition, and physical abilities. In a world changed by techno-humanism, humans wouldn't just be better versions of ourselves. At some point along the line, we may even start to look more like the superheroes in comic books or have the ability to do things that used to be outside of the realm of the possible. It would be also enable us to live longer and increasing our well-being. Let me just go around the table. Is there anything you agree, disagree with that statement about humans would be better versions and more like superheroes in comic books? Judy Ryan, let's start with you. What's your thought? Well, my thought is that if we use technology wisely, we do enhance the expansion of human potential. People can be more, they can do more, they can accomplish faster, better, stronger with the information that comes through those platforms. So for me, um, techno-human is not to replace the human, it's to mm-hmm. enhance and increase the, the value of the human component. So a lot of people are sort of threatened by technology as though it's going to replace them. It's actually here to help enhance and, and develop you further. Like even the people responding during this pandemic, those that are comfortable with technology are easily shifting from live conferences to virtual conferences, mm-hmm. from uh, you know live meetings and mentoring sessions to virtual ones, and they're not thrown by it. So I think TechnoHuman is, is to our advantage to become those superheroes. Thank you very much. Jacob Perkins, what do you think about that definition of TechnoHuman transhumanism? What do you think? I followed transhumanism for a while now, you know, and I, I get the premise it's a fusion of our meta consciousness, you know, all of our senses and our consciousness, you know, with that of our digital world. And in the case of people who have a really hard stance on transhumanism, we're talking about essentially cyborgs right now, which only a Nordic country has integrated, you know, um, literal hardware into their bodies right now. I can certainly see how, um, some parts of our modern world right now, particularly uh, defense industry, uh, would like to augment human capabilities with technology. But I think as an aggregate, most of our society and those in the business world really are focused on the techno-human ecosystem and the, and the ability of technology and integrated systems to um, give us newer solutions, come up with newer solutions, tilt service platforms, build new knowledge management systems, and the speed of those systems. So I think the end conclusion here is that there's a spectrum of transhumanistic endeavors we could pursue in the techno-human ecosystem, and it's going to vary both as we progress societally and as certain industries progress. Thank you, Jacob. Very thoughtful, interesting answer. Marty Constant, join me. What do you think? Um, I, um, I have been doing my first video meetings with physicians during this pandemic, and I have to tell you, it's fantastic. It eliminates, it keeps me on target with higher valuable work. I'm not commuting. I'm not waiting. They are on time. The mm-hmm. doctors are on time with mm-hmm. these virtual meetings. So what's there not to like about that? I'd yep. also like to say that we're, we're, we're set up for the machines helping us. I think I wear contacts. That's considered a medical device that it's inserted in my body to help me see better. People have pacemakers. I used to do a lot of work for medical technology companies, and there's lots of implantable devices that are neurological. They can be uh, implanted in your brain, implanted near your heart. So we're already doing that. I think one of the biggest areas of growth is going to be in the biohacking area. Um, As Jacob said, people are going to be... the uh, researchers that can't get FDA approval for studies, they're implanting these test AI-type machine learning um, objects inside themselves, and they're Mm. collecting data. We consider this on the fringe right now, but autonomous vehicles used to be on the fringe, and they're starting to get towards emerging trends now. And it isn't the mainstream, like the phone, like, we would never go back to having a mobile uh, a device, not having mobile devices anymore. My brother uses it to mimic an artificial pancreas. He uses his iPhone and two other devices. It's not something that's being done widely, but there's thousands it's of there. people that get together online um, to, to collaborate with this so that they can be... Amazing. Marty, in, in the... Uh in the date, in the era of needing to connect and doing it digitally, look what we're discovering. Thank you for that. 
Linda Roth, join me. What do you think about this concept of transhumanism? Agree or disagree with the the decision or the definition I just read? Well, I I agree with it and uh, add on to some of the things that Marty said. There are a whole bunch of devices. I mean, if we remember back in the 60s, we had a TV show called, maybe it was the 70s, The Six Million Dollar Man, right? Well, we're close to The Six Million Dollar Man now uh, in One of the examples I have in my book of using 3D technology, there was a doctor recently that generated an inner ear using 3D technology and inserted it into a human, and he could hear instantly. Mm. So um, we are definitely from that perspective, but I also look at techno-human in terms of working together. And so there was a um, report, a 2018 report, Uh, from the World Economic Forum, in which they talk about how humans and technology will work together. And, uh, you know, everybody's afraid that their jobs are going to be displaced. And they say that the estimate is 74 million current jobs will be displaced by machines and algorithms by 2022, but 133 million new jobs will be created. They Mm -hmm. also talk about how, uh, like Gartner predicts, that in 2022, one in five employees will have AI as a co-worker. Now, that's only two years from now. And um, again, from the Economic Forum, fewer than 5% of jobs will be completely automated, while 60% of occupations could have as much as 30% of the responsibilities automated. So in, in our work environment, we are going to be working with techno- along with technology, and that frees us to do things that are either less dangerous for us or that, that we, you, we use our natural brains and our natural thinking ability, right, while the, while the artificial intelligence does the mundane, mundane stuff. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Well, we're almost out of time, but I want to mention that, uh, oh, it must have been last year I read an article. The question was, the headline was, are you ready to meet your new AI robot CEO? And do we think there would be a robot CEO in any company of any size anytime soon. And we may very, I know some people accuse their bosses of sounding like robots. The old definition of robots, we won't go there. But certainly, it certainly is a possibility. I am so impressed with the four of you. Judy Ryan, you did such a, a great job of corralling such interesting and well-spoken and well-prepared people for this panel. I am so impressed with you and with Jacob Perkins and Marty Constant and Linda Ross. So what I want to do is we have just enough time for a prediction of all predictions. I'm going to give you each 60 seconds because I need a little time at the end to do the reminders about our wonderful sponsors for today's show. So let me give you each 60 seconds. Let's to do a prediction, a high-level prediction of techno-human game changes to the rescue. What will that mean for our listeners Let's say, oh, I don't think we can do it for the end of 2020, but maybe as far out as 2025. Judy Ryan, you're up 60 seconds. Prediction, go. Okay, the prediction that I have is really around sustainable systems. And that sounds kind of dull to some people, but systems thinking is sort of like when um, people can look out ahead in a chess game and see 12 moves down the board. So what I love about this team, and I'm so grateful that you gave us the opportunity to come together, is that we're systems thinkers. And so mm-hmm. you, most people don't realize that they're operating under tons of different kinds of systems. And if you don't recognize it around humanity, I think a lot of people's fear about trans, uh, uh, the, the trans between techno and human is that they're going to lose the humanity. We've already got systems to help us boost humanity. And we've already been doing systems that have actually diminished humanity. So I think really studying the systems thinkers is a way for the future to be successful. And only 8% of the population are systems thinkers. So look for them, find them, look for the people that see the patterns like this team today, and they're out ahead of those patterns so that you can, you don't have to reinvent any wheels. So that's my uh, prediction in the next three to five years. If we don't really recognize the healthiest best practice systems, Mm -hmm. we will feel overwhelmed and discouraged. Thank you, Judy. Jacob Perkins, I have 45 seconds for you. Go. Part of my superpower as a neurodiverse individual is think systems thinking. And mm-hmm. so being able to systematize, especially in the context of this global pandemic, um, our complex problems or what some people in sociology might call wicked problems and applying AI 
um, to those problems to mitigate risk and find solutions will be part of the future. You might see more CEOs, both in the public and private sector, rely on um, things like um, computational systems to try to navigate risk. Um, so in that regard, you won't necessarily have a digital CEO as much as you'll have a CEO that is augmenting risk analyses and strategic planning through the integration of AI into their risk management systems. Thank so, yes, you. I'm emphasizing, just like Judy, the role of systems dynamics and systems thinking with tackling enduring complex problems in the context of the 21st century business landscape. Thank you, Jacob. Marty Constant, I've got 30 seconds for you. We're getting shorter and shorter here. Go ahead, Marty. Personal, Quick. personal brand growth will play a much more prominent role if you want to get ahead of being able to differentiate yourself in an area where we're going to be commoditized or maybe we think we're going to be commoditized, the way to stand out is to work on yourself. And if you're a systems thinker, put your point of view out there within organizations or as an individual within the marketplace. Thank you, Marty. Linda Roth, you get the last 30 seconds before I have to close. Go ahead, Linda. Well, I'm going to add on to what Marty said in that education will no longer be one through K through 12, and then four years or eight years of college for a lifetime career. Learning will be continual throughout our lifetimes, and individuals will have multiple careers throughout their lifetimes and will work longer. Thank you very much. Appreciate that, all of you. What a panel. Let me do a quick call to action here. Oh, let's see. Plume is one of our sponsors. Plume is offering two years of Plume membership to my listeners for 50% off. Instead of $99 a year, pay just $49 a year for two years. Why? Because Plume understands this is a difficult time for many of our listeners. Go to Plume, P-L-U-M-E dot com slash tech revolution, T-E-C-H, R-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N. And there's a special discount that will be applied at checkout. That's P-L-U-M-E dot com slash tech, T-E-C-H, revolution. And also protect your online activity today with the VPN we're trusting to secure our privacy. Visit my special link, expressvpn.com slash techrev. I will spell that, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash T-E-C-H-R-E-V. And you're going to get an extra three months for free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash T-E-C-H-R-E-V to learn more. Thank you to my special panelist, Judy Ryan, again. And I really appreciate your getting so many experts on this panel. We talked about Techno Human, and everybody should have learned. I certainly did a lot from all of you. Judy Ryan, Jacob Perkins, Marty Constant, Linda Ross, sending all of you my message of be safe, be smart, be well. Special thank you to my co-producer, Ryan Treasure, at World Talk Radio, Voice America, the business channel, all the channels, and Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire with nerves of steel. He just told me I have 30 seconds. So I'm just going to say thank you for tuning in to Technology Revolution, the future now remember if somebody tells you the future is here uh uh-uh, that was yesterday's future we're all part of making today's future happen you are an important part of it let's do it right bonnie d graham signing off have a great day bye bye thank you for joining us for technology revolution the future of now Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Thanks again for 